turned ten o'clock, but I don't really know. And I can't remember caring for an hour or so. Started crying and I couldn't stop myself. I started running, but there's nowhere to run to. I sat down on the street, took a look at myself. Said, where you going, man? You know the world is headed for hell. Say your goodbyes if you got someone you can say good. Welcome to the episode 4 of Expert Couch Potatoes, hosted by three sports fanatics, discussing everything sports and for the love of the game. So today we'll be talking about the grand final, wrapping that up, uh, the trade season in the AFL, and then we'll also be doing wrap-ups for St Kilda and Collingwood. As well as that, we'll be touching on other sports like the NBA, IPL, maybe a bit of EPL as well. And um, yeah, so we'll kick things off with um, how you boys been this past week, especially with the footy grand final coming to a close. I think Shiv, I think you've probably been more affected by this than I have. So how, how do you feel Shiv after yesterday's disappointment? Um, yeah, I think perfectly. Disappointment, upset, sadness, all of those terms would describe it. It's been a tough, tough 24 hours since, not even 24 hours yet, but yeah, it's been a tough night to digest after, after the grand final. What a way to end Gaz's legacy, right? By losing a grand final. <laughs> Geelong would do that. <laughs> I think I honestly, <laughs> I honestly welled up after I saw Gaz go down in the first four minutes. I thought he'd be he was done. I think it was the same shoulder as back in when McAffer cucked him in twenty fourteen. Yeah. I think I think I thought he was done for the day and I think uh, in the home and away season he would have probably uh, taken the game off, but knowing it was his granny and the last four game Overall, he probably thought he'd put all his all in. And um, if his body gives up, uh, gives up, then it's all right because he's got nothing else to play for, Is that this is it for him. So <laughs> it was really sad to see him go down. And it wasn't the same after he did. Uh, whenever he went near the ball, he just, it just it was quite different. And he wasn't putting his body there. And he, he re-injured himself quite a couple of times. And honestly, yeah, I did had I had a, sh- a tear in there at one point, which was really sad. But glad that he got to the end and people gave him that standing O uh, to finish the game. I would have really loved to see him speak, but uh, unfortunately, that opportunity wasn't given to him. And hopefully, Geelong put through something uh, in in the videos to see if, uh, to, to hear from Gary Ablett after his retirement. I would really look forward to that. Hopefully, a statue in front of Geelong GMHBA. That'd be really good. Good way to honor. <laughs> Think the a great- bit too soon. But in a couple of years' time, I reckon that's probably going to happen. I think what they, the, I think the commentators were saying that Dusty would be getting a statue soon. But yeah, we should probably be talking about Richmond, right? And <laughs> shouldn't be rubbing it into Shiv, poor fella. Yeah. So, what do you fellas think about Richmond and how they played, being twenty-one points down at halftime or closing in on halftime? Like, I think we did really well till like for the first two quarters and. Um, if you watched the game, I think you would have assumed that we had a good chance, or Geelong had a good chance of, um, you know, winning winning the granny after those two quarters. But I think always, I think everyone knew at the back of their head that Richmond could always come back, and I think that's just been their motto for the whole year. They've always, you know, come back despite you know any sort of a challenge that's been in front of them, and I think they've just always been able to, uh, you know, switch it into third gear. Uh, or fourth gear and always just run through with the victory and just being persistent, never questioning themselves and, you know, fighting till the end. And I think 
uh, when the big moments came, I think uh, Dusty definitely did stand up for them. And there was a few other players. Uh, I actually did think Jaden Short played pretty well. Um, their game is based on like meters gained. So he, I think, accumulated the most meters gained out of that out of their squad uh, throughout the night. Which they just keep pushing the ball forward and keep getting they keep getting numbers and they just keep you know putting it into the putting it into the inside fifty where they're really lethal. So I think that just in the second half just tore tore Geelong apart. Yeah, for sure. I think. Richmond would probably. I don't think I, I know a team that's won three in the part in, in three and four years ever, um, in the past. So they've probably put themselves down in the uh, the history books as probably one of the greatest teams of the modern era, at least. Uh, with a few three peats in the past, I, I just don't think there have been many clubs that have gone three and four. So like honestly, I think the question we need to ask is, how, how do we even beat them? How, like, how, how does any team? beat them like they've got a system that works perfectly for them their team is quite relatively young to be honest like they've got a couple guys that are on the app and maybe Hooli and that's probably all I can think of do you think they've got a chance of going again next year and uh, contending again like I don't see why not and they'll probably go go honestly go down in, as the greatest club of all time if if they uh, go four and five years which I think is a decent chance to be honest Honestly, I agree. I think they'll probably be up there next year. They've got the key players are still coming back. So like Dusty, Lynch, um, Grimes, all these players are still there. So if the core's still there, I think they're able to contend. And then they've got up and coming youngsters like Bolter, Liam Baker, those sort of youngsters. So I think they're, they're going to be there for the next part of it, probably the next five, five or so years. As long as no one either gets injured or retires, I think they'll be up there for a long time. They're a really well-coached team, really well-oiled unit. Um, they show that a great team beats a team of champions. So I think Geelong was stacked, probably more stacked on paper than Richmond is. Richmond have a lot of just um, role players, but when they come together, they're really nearly unbeatable. And as you mentioned, it, there's not many teams that can actually beat them on a good day. I think Collingwood have had a good history against them. I, I know I'm a Collingwood fan. It might sound a bit biased. But in the past, it's shown that we've actually been able to hold out with, against them. So, like, earlier this year, we drew with them. The year before, we beat them. And then the year before that, I think, in the Mason Cox eruption, we st- he stopped the four-peat. So, I think possession, possession ball, trying to keep it out of Geelong, um, no, sorry, Richmond's hands is critical to win the game. And I think you just got you just got to apply pressure as well, the same amount of pressure and just get them to make mistakes because they were just too slick in the end. Even though Geelong threw a bit of pressure, it just wasn't working. I think one thing we got to mention that Geelong didn't do was when they had the ascendancy, they didn't put the foot on the pedal. They, they parked Danger up forward, didn't put him into the midfield, which I think was an error on Chris Scott's behalf because Richmond aren't really a great centre clearance team. So if they were winning the clearances, they could have gone a long way further in um, winning the game. So, yeah, I think Geelong didn't really make the most of their opportunities. Um, what do you think, Shu? I think you've just opened up the, uh, the path for shift to shit on Chris Scott again. That's <laughs> 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 probably what's going to happen. So, yeah, let, let us know what, you, what your thoughts are, bro. I, know. I don't think, um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to shit on him. I think he did pretty well to bounce back from week one of AFL, you know, the, the finals, um, you know, for the qualifying finals and the elimination finals. So I think he did a good job to bring them back. I think more so, just alluding back to your first question, Ashray, 
um, in terms of how we can actually beat them. I was lost for answers yesterday. I thought we were probably one of the closest teams to actually come to actually testing Richmond in terms of their capabilities. And we still fell short. So I think, like you both have mentioned, there is a chance for them to, um, you know, go go again next year and win win the whole thing. And I think Chris got probably made the right decisions. Um, you could always debate, you know, if we put Danger in the midfield or in the forward. And I think that's something they probably need to look at next year in terms of what role Danger plays. Because obviously he is someone that is of a great caliber as a player, but it's just how we're going to use him. And I think, you know, Looking into next year, if we get you know, uh, Jeremy Cameron, if there's another forward up there, maybe Danger does play um, midfield full-time and that changes things a lot um, in terms of how the team functions. So maybe that, And then maybe that can then help us to beat Richmond in terms of having that pressure, constant pressure, winning clearances, uh, because as Nick said, they just started winning clearances in the second half. And even if they didn't win clearances, they would just either kick the ball forward, um, boot it off the ground, or somehow just, um, just get the ball forward. So I think... That's just I just don't know how to how to beat that type of footy. It it just seems ugly to watch, but it works. So, yeah, for sure. I think someone that probably goes unnoticed, or I think he's become increasingly noticed this year is Shay Bolton. Like he's twenty one, twenty two. He clean below his feet, uh, good kick, and he's just he's Richmond's future. And even though he's small, he can still get get the ball himself. And I think I'm quite excited to see what he can bring in the future. But what do you guys think, out of the three flags, 17, 19, and 20, which one was the best? Obviously, uh, last year against GWS was probably one of the worst grannies we've ever seen in our lifetime. We'll probably have to be between the Adelaide match and yesterday. Which flag do you think was the best of Richmond's? Honestly, the this recent one, just because of the quarantining, the hub, and then um, having so many injuries throughout, right? There was a lot of players who couldn't make it, like Hooley, um, Edwards, all these like key players weren't able to play. And they still, like, at the end of the day, they were able to, when the pressure got hot, they just um, rose up to the occasion and they showed once and again that they're the best team in the competition, I think. And as well as that, going back-to-back is probably harder than just winning a one-off flag. So compared to the 2017 one, even though it was drought-breaking, and all that sort of stuff, and kind of unexpected at the time. Um, last this year's final was the best in my eyes. Um, what do you think, Shiva? Yeah, I think definitely this year probably the best one. Um, I don't think it's because they're at Geelong, but I think if you measure Geelong, Adelaide, and GWS, Geelong probably would be the best team out of those three when you compared it to Richmond. And I think they didn't play at the G this year. That's a really big thing. That's their home ground. And when you verse Richmond at the G, 80% of the crowd is Richmond fans. And that's such a huge factor for them. So just by not having that, they still, they still won this year. And as Nick's mentioned, the whole you know, quarantine, quarantine season and playing, I think they've obviously had their own issues playing in Queensland for the whole season, but they're just uh, still won. So it just shows consistency across three or uh, four years. Um, and despite circumstances, they're still being able to be successful. So this year just tops off how good they are as a team, I think. Yeah, maybe maybe an argument for the 2017 flag would be from where they were in 2016 to, to yeah. develop that fast and go to pretty much the top of the table and beat Adelaide was like something amazing as well. I think they finished 13th and they hadn't won a flag in like 10, 15, oh, sorry, they hadn't won a final in uh, over 15 years. So it, I think that one, it, it had a bit of, 
feeling about it when Richmond won their first flag in a while. Uh, but yeah, yesterday's game was just amazing and uh, the whole corona environment that we've had all year. But let's let's just take a moment to acknowledge how much of a freak Dusty Martin is. Like, uh, I think he's the first one to get to three Norm Smiths and three grannies, three Norm Smiths. And he's by far probably the best finals player I've ever seen. And he just, he shows up when it matters. And uh, for a second, I thought, yeah, he might not show up this week because he had more, I would say, a quieter season than usual uh, in 2020. I thought he wouldn't show up, but four goals, 21 touches, like, that's just something else. And I think Lee Matthews made a comment yesterday saying, if there's anyone that I'd want to be compared to, or if I'm not insulted by being compared to anyone else but Dusty Martin. And that just shows uh, how, how much of a player Dusty Martin is, knowing that Lee Matthews is probably like probably the best player of the 20th century. Uh, I think in one of his seasons, he had like 25 touches and averaged three and a half goals a game, which is just mind boggling. You don't see that anymore. And like he's probably. Yeah, to be compared to Lee Matthews is an achievement in itself. So, yeah, Dust, Dusty was crazy yesterday. And I think him being 29, he's going to continue to do that for a few more years. Just to add on the, the Dusty thing, um, and I think this is often thrown in the air, is Richmond's, um, Richmond's I guess, structure in terms of their list and people questioning if they do have the quality on paper. I guess comparing that to how good Dusty is as an individual, um, do you think that he elevates the team to a much higher position because of how good he is as a person? Or do you think he's supported, like he's been saying um, in his uh, post-match conferences, do you think he is as good just because his team around him work in such a good or such an efficient system? I don't think there's a right answer to that. I think they both really complement each other really well. I think uh, as good as Dusty is, he plays his role in the team just like everybody else does, which makes a huge difference. Like just watching some footage of him just knowing where he needs to be, even though he's the contested bull, even though he's probably the best player in the team, he's not going into every contest. He knows he's more threatening, maybe in front of the ball, uh, going toward 50. So he plays his role just like everybody else does. So it's really hard to make that judgment. But uh, I don't want to take anything away from Dusty by saying that he, he plays in a good team or he plays in a good system. I think he brings a lot to that Richmond side. I wouldn't say more than anyone else because if you took Dusty out, I still back uh, Tigers to go really far uh, in, in the finals campaign. Because yeah, other than the granny, um, Dusty didn't have the biggest season and they still finished in the top four. So, yeah. So I wouldn't say he's probably, he's, he's probably one of the most influential, but I think Richmond have their system worked out. Is there any way to beat him, do you reckon, Dusty's? How would you beat uh, him? Like, I thought in that last last moment or last goal that he kicked when Danger was trying to tackle him, if anyone was to tackle him with, the, like, a, a, the probably someone with the strongest core in the comp in Danger would be able to do it. And he shrugged him off like it was nothing and stole the ball and kicked a, a freak of a snap. So I, I honestly don't think there's much you can do to stop Dusty, but stop Richmond's game style and Rich, Richmond's system. Uh, to take him out of the game that way rather than going one-on-one with him because I don't think he'll, he'll lose one-on-one very often. I think, um, like I was telling Ashley this yesterday as well, um, I think Geelong had a, a story to write for Gaza yesterday and there was a lot writing the line, but I think Richmond just had a bigger story to write themselves. And I think this is kind of similar to what, we, or what Geelong did in 07, 09, um, 011, when we had to beat quality teams 
the other teams were obviously good and they had every right to win it themselves, but we just had to obviously work even harder to beat those teams. I think Richmond did that last night. I think we, you know, as we, as I mentioned, we had Gaz's last game as, as AFL player and then potentially Harry Taylor as well as Danger's first flag. There's so many things that were just there um, as a moment for Geelong, but Richmond just showed their persistence to win another one despite those other circumstances. So I think that just reflects how much they stood up to that moment, lived in the moment as well, and just were so present in terms of just, you know, being able to constantly fight. And I think Dusty, I think, kind of did that as well in terms of being in the moment and just um, winning, you know, winning each possession, each um, contest that he was in. I think one question about Dusty, though, uh, I think that everyone, um, everyone considers is if he's a great player overall or if he's a great big-time player, if that makes sense. So when you compare him to, like, you know, Fife, Neil, you know, Patrick Dangerfield, maybe more consistent performers, maybe, like, Clayton Oral, Oliver, Patrick Cripps, um, Nick's, where do you reckon, like, how, where do you think he is positioned in that debate of being just a great player in terms of the whole league compared to him just being a big-time player? I think the reason why he puts the foot off the pedal during the regular season is because the team's so good. Um, if the team wasn't as good, I think I'd have no doubt that he'd show up week in, week out. But he, he's a smart man, and I think he leaves it in the tank for finals, and that's when he turns it up and becomes probably one of the greatest of all time, like a really, really strong finals player. Um, something that I've picked up on is actually Gaza doesn't have any Norm Smiths and Dusty has three. So I'm not saying much, but what do you guys think of that? Do you think um, that's the one thing missing in Gaza's legacy? Like he's been been around, done everything, but win that elusive Normie. What do you think? Gaz, Gaz played with some big players though. I'm trying to put that out there. Like he played with the, like a few other champions of the game, like Jimmy Bartel, who won his own Brownlow as well. So it's yeah, hard. And, and Gaz won the Brownlow in, uh, in two, uh, 09 where uh, Cats won the flag as well. So I think he had a good season in 2009. It just, he, in, in, like when they did win the flag, there were big names around him that uh, showed up as well. So no, I completely agree with which of the, but I think we, we can't take anything away from Gaz at all. Like, I don't think any of us will. Like, he's probably, in, in my era at least, the greatest player I've ever seen. And I remember back in high school where you, if you didn't have Gary Ablett in your super coach team, you were going to lose. Like, if you didn't have the C on him, you were going to lose. Like, you were, you were an outcast if you didn't have the captain on um, Gary Ablett. So it just shows how much of a dependable and consistent player he was, um, even in, like, the eye of super coach teams and super coach fanatics that you just knew that he was going to show up every single week and I think that's what defines him as a player who's consistent over a long long period of time and that's probably why he goes down as the greatest player uh, of at least the, to the 21st century that's fair fair point honestly back then I really disliked Gaza um, <laughs> Collingwood against Gold Coast would always come up against his 50 touches three <laughs> goal performances you, you can book Gaza in for the three votes honestly what McCaffrey did was criminal. At the time, I'm like, oh, yes, we, we can finally win the game. But um, the long-lasting impact that's had on the game is sad because I think Gaza could have gone on to win his third round, though, and done a couple, a bit more for that club as well. So I think that was really sad. But, yeah, as you mentioned, Gaza is probably the greatest I've ever seen in my life. And then closely followed by probably uh, Swanee, 
But um, yeah, there's still there's a massive massive gap between the two. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw a stat actually between 2007 and 2014. Gary Ablett averaged 31 touches and just under two goals a game. Like over seven years, to average 31 touches a game is crazy. And people were arguing that uh, that's that's only seven years after that. You got to consider what he's done from 2014 till now or over his whole career. And if you look at that as well, he averages 25 touches over his whole career. Like to do that over, I think, 19 years or whatever he played is just crazy. Like considering that he didn't get 30 plus touches for the first, for the first 100 games he ever played. So that shows after that 100th game how much of a, a dominator he was. He just used to tear games apart. It's crazy. What if he stayed at Geelong, honestly? What, what if Brent McCaffrey never existed? <laughs> <laughs> So many what ifs. Yeah. Like, if he didn't get injured, I reckon he probably would have won his third Brownlow. Such a classy player as well. I think that was the biggest thing. Like he was he was, I guess, similar to the impact that Dusty had, but in a different era. Like he was someone that could never get tackled. Um he was very classy with the ball. Kind of like a combination between Pendles and Dusty in the sense that his ball use was still always really good. Um but he was also pretty good at kicking goals and he was explosive as well. Um, I think when he was at Geelong, the amount of times where they would win the centre clearance and then Gaz would get the ball and run towards 50. And like when you used to watch footy back in the day, and they'd have like the top 10 highlights on Sundays. And Gaz, Gaz's goal would always be they're just kick, you know, running out of the centre square, kicking goals. Just so many memories like that where um, which just cemented him even before he retired that he was like, you know, probably the modern great of the game. Crazy. It's really... It really hurts knowing that he's never going to play a game again. Uh, yeah. but I guess you got to kind of just value what we saw for, but for pretty much a whole life of watching footy. That's um, probably the hardest but, thing. Yeah, last night it was just I didn't think it was just Geelong losing, but it was more so just Gaz not getting the opportunity yeah. to win because it would have been a fairy sure. tale. But yeah, honestly, yeah, I wanted Geelong to win um, during during that game, and it was quite disappointing to see them lose and. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping. I don't think Gaz will take it to heart too much. I think he's a good man. He's my mate, so he'll he'll <laughs> he'll, he'll be he'll be all good, and he'll continue uh, to live a happy life. And yeah, <laughs> I think moving on from crying about his um, he hasn't died or anything. He just <laughs> he just um, retired. For those who aren't that fond of footy, um, he's just retired. So moving on to the <laughs> next topic of the week, um, trade season. Um, so Geelong, I think, can hold their head high, knowing that they'll probably be in that same position next year because they're picking up. Oh, there's been rumours of Jeremy Cameron wanting out, and um, he's opted for Geelong. What do you guys think of that? Especially considering they made the granny and nearly won. I think, yeah, I think the worst teams need to get some compo because all these, all the big teams, all the gun clubs, destination clubs, they all the best players want to go there, and it's. Hard to stop them when, when that happens. So it's it's good to see Jeremy Cameron wanting to go to Geelong and see if they can get a flag after 10 years. But it's just, it's good. The area is going to just continue for like 15 years. Cats have just been one of the greatest clubs and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. But I think Higgins is also coming. So they're looking, they think that, that they still are in the premiership window if they're getting Higgins in or if they're looking to get Higgins in. Uh, such a young, uh, old bloke and... I don't know where there's space for him in that midfield, but they're going to fit him in somewhere. Uh, I, I don't know with who. I don't know who's going to slot out with Duncan, Guthrie, Menegola, Selwood, Danger. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know why they need someone else. They need to stop being selfish. If I'm honest, share share uh, it around a little bit. 
We don't want Higgins anyway. Oh, sorry. Not like, like, like we're asking for him. No, we just got <laughs> some young players. I, like, I'll, I'll facilitate a trade between Essendon um, and Geelong where you can get Sean Higgins and I'll chuck in Jack Stephen as well for you. <laughs> Cheers. And we'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure out something if you want. <laughs> Do you yeah, want Josh Jenkins as well? I can give you Josh Jenkins. <laughs> Bro, I would love Josh Jenkins, to be honest. <laughs> I'll give like, you we need a four. We've got no one. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Don't worry. Speaking about Josh's, do you, guys, do you guys hear about Josh Dunkley? <laughs> he says he wants to come down to the Bombers, but I don't think it'll happen knowing that the doggies, he's in the leadership group with the doggies. They love him there. The only reason he probably wants to leave is because he got played in the rock for the second half of last season uh, when he's like one of the, the best young midfielders in the game, probably. Uh, his 2019 season was crazy, so I don't understand why they're choosing Bailey Smith over him in that midfield, but. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, that's a fair just point. A quick, just a quick question with all the free trade speculation. Um, I saw one of the journals, Caroline Wilson, say that she's not fond of the, I guess, the free agency system within AFL. I think the the context with this question is that with free agency, it can be beneficial for allowing for players to move around and kind of create more competition within the markets. So, for example, like. It'll help. Obviously, there's destination clubs, but also help other clubs to build a better culture to then, you know, try and market the club better for players to come across, if that makes sense. So in terms of that benefit with free agency, do you guys and both of you, do you agree that free agency is beneficial holistically for the AFL or do you think it has its negative aspects? No, I think it's, um, it's good in that after a certain period of time, that player is free to walk as an unrestricted free agent at least. Uh, no trade needs to be facilitated, which is, which is good. It, it frees up a bit of, um, like, it, it, it opens up trading a bit more, which is, which is good. But I think the compo system could be worked on a little bit because it's based on how much the other team offers him and stuff like that. So it's completely up for, it's, it can be manipulated really easily, the, the compo system, as, as we're saying through Brad Crouch, uh, with Adelaide wanting their pick two, I think if they get, sorry, if Brad, Brad Crouch gets paid above 750K by the Saints, they'll be up for pick two, but anything less, they'll be getting an end of first rounder. So they're, they're facilitating some sort of um, trade where they're putting some players on the table and stuff like that to make sure that um, Adelaide get pick two. So like it's up for manipulation. So I guess it, at the end of the day, it ends up working like a trade anyway, uh, but it does still free up players to move around at their own will without, um, even if they're contracted, if they're a free agent, they can bugger off if they choose to bugger off. Yeah, I think you made fair points there. I agree. Um, a couple of other things is it gives freedom to the player. Honestly, being employed, you should have freedom to move wherever you want, right? Go to pick your employer. But um, at the same time, I feel like um, the less attractive clubs don't get looked after at all. So clubs like GWS at the moment, there's been a mass exodus. So there's been like, six or seven players who've opted out and want to leave. Um, teams like Gold Coast Sun as well, Suns as well have lost players like Charlie Dixon, Tom Lynch, Dion Prestia, Harley Bunnell, just to name a few. These players have gone on to be all Australian premiership players, Coleman medalists, runner, runners up, all that sort of thing. So I feel like um, the lesser teams, especially in North Melbourne, they've been stuck in mediocrity for a long time. Another small club is Essendon. They've been pretty garbage for like 16 years. So... I think it's not fair in those minnow clubs. So, yeah, what, what do you think, Shiv? I think you made a good point with GWS because I was going to say the same thing. If you looked at 
GWS one year ago, or maybe two years ago, you'd have been thinking that, that that's a destination club because people are signing in. The people that even questioned to leave, like Josh Kelly, Coniglio, actually ended up signing big contracts. So I don't think it's that smaller markets are losing players, more so that their club culture really needs to build for them to target people. Because I think people, like you mentioned, will choose the employer that they want to work under or play under. Like, for example, Orazio uh, Fantasia is going back to Adelaide because that's where he, you know, he was born. Oh, I think he's from Adelaide. So people will still move around. And I think if they come or are recruited from different areas, um, areas of the country, they're going to move back to their home home state if they prefer to do that. But it's more so trying to build a culture within your, the club that they're drafted in that people want to stay. So, for example, Matt Rao is someone, I think he's probably from Victoria, but he's gone to Gold Coast and he's probably going to stay there as long as they have a core group of players they can build around. And I think that's where, obviously, Essendon might have had some issues. North Melbourne has had some issues. And I think GWS right now is kind of currently experiencing the same thing. Uh, I think there are obviously some small markets that have found it difficult. And I think they are probably against the, the pattern of free agency in terms of North Melbourne. But, like, but teams like Carlton, which people wouldn't think was a, you know, um, a team that people would move to, clearly we've seen that there are people moving like you know, Saad and um, Zach Williams. So it's like, where do you really put this discussion? Because you know, clubs can reinvent themselves through draft picks and through rebuilding and then start targeting people. So I'm not sure if it's more so being impacted as being a small market club, more so it's just that maybe you're, the club needs to just rebuild and have their culture to represent that. Yeah, no, it's a fair call. I think it's something that probably needs to be fiddled with by the AFL. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a, a good topic to speak about. But just moving on, we've had a couple teams exit uh, over over the past four weeks, and the grannies just finished up. But we still think it's worthwhile talking about the future and seeing where some of the clubs are really going to be heading going into to next year. And a couple of the teams that were quite exciting were, were the Saners and the Pies. Pies have been good for a while. Uh, but they still have some young talent that, that are, that's worth mentioning, like Moore and Maynard. But first of all, what do you guys think about St Kilda? What, what worked this season? What changed? How did they get up to sixth on the ladder? Yeah, no, I thought it was the trades. Like They created a nice culture, so they, it was an attractive free agent destination. Normally in the past, uh, St Kilda has been one of those clubs which have had players leave, like Goddard, Del Sano, those types of left the club. So it's great seeing them get new players like Bradley Hill. Um, Blake, they got rid of like players like Blake Akers for Brad Hill, Dan Hanabry, Paddy Ryder, Dougal Howard, Zach Jones, just to name a few. And that, that saw their team change drastically, like probably a near, near 180. Um, as uh, I just read somewhere that their top seven in the best and fairest had an average age of 23 and a half. And I think that's great. It shows that their future is really bright. And they also have like key forward. They, they have internal development as well. So players like Max King, we can expect massive growth in the near future, especially if they get another key forward in, which would be great. Um, Jack Steele elevated from like a solid tagger to just one of the best midfielders in the competition, which I don't think anyone would have expected. So I think that was really great. Um, what else do you guys think like worked for these for the Saints this year. I think Saints fans <laughs> might disagree with the Jack Steele. They'll probably tell you that it's been coming for a fair few years. Which is nuts. It's probably a fair call. Watching them, watching, a call, a bit, yeah. watching a player a bit closer, like you probably have better opinions of Brandon Parfit than, than I do. Exactly. Just because you get to watch him a little bit closer. But 
just on touching on the the um, trading and getting some uh, players in because of good culture, I think a lot of the players that they did get in were maybe fringe players or were on the out at the other at the clubs that they were at. Paddy Ryder was still a quality player, but uh, he was a bit older. But he's come and made an immediate impact at the Saints. Uh, Dougal Howard has probably been, I think, he finished in the top three of their best and first, which is quite surprising. I didn't expect that at all. But yeah, he he played his role on some key players uh, in the in the in, in the defence. But yeah, I think it's got a bit of money ball about it, getting in some players that were fringe on at other teams and uh, getting them into one club and getting that culture right and. Uh, getting Brett Radden in. Nobody would expect having such a big change with five new players that were all in their best 22 and a new coach and then have such a quick change around. Usually it takes a bit of time to to uh, adjust and understand uh, the, the coach's game style and the plan and everything. So, yeah, it was amazing to see the Saners have such a quick change. But, yeah, I can't, can't go without mentioning Jack Steele. He went from uh, an average to above average player last year to... Uh, to someone quite elite uh, up, up there with top five of the best uh, midfielders. Out of, so out of the big guys that they got in, I think a couple of them probably were a bit of a bust, uh, didn't really pay dividends, but they didn't pay too much for some of them like Dan Hanabry. But what do you guys did, think didn't work uh, in, in the Sainers outfit? I, I don't know. I think they had a good year of development. Yeah, I think the one thing that probably needs to change or maybe they can work on is um, having another forward uh, to support Max King in terms of their structure. And I think their defense is still a bit weak at some parts. So Dougal Howard can play a good role, but they need someone um, someone else, another strong body in the back line. I think they've got a few young players. So they're developing them like Caulfield, Hunter Clark, and there's a few other people there that are also pretty good. But... Their defense is just probably needs another big body. I think their forward line, actually, just to probably correct myself, they've got Roland Marshall, who plays really uh, a really good role for them up forward. And when Paddy Wright is in the ruck, I think he he's pretty um, efficient. But I think the main thing is probably just getting another big body defender uh, and probably a an inside mid to help Jack Steele because I don't think their clearances are as strong. But yeah, what do you think, Binks? Yeah, honestly, what didn't work was Dan Hanabry. He's been injured. He's been perennially injured ever since he crossed over from Sydney. I think that 2016 granny where someone took out his legs, I think he's just never been the same player since. And that's, especially considering the amount of money, I think he's getting paid like six, 700,000 is criminal because he's only paid 30% of games. And then practice that with Brad Hill, who's getting paid 800,000 $800, <laughs> to be a bot on the field. Is 1.5 million that could be used for a bona fide superstar, which is what these guys lack. So, honestly, St Kilda paid a lot for Brad Hill. They lost Blake Akers, who's been a solid role player for Frio. Um, they gave up pick 10, pick 58, future second rounder, and a future fourth rounder. And all they got in return was Brad Hill and a third rounder. And Brad Hill, I think, has been pretty overrated in what he's done his whole career. And to get paid nearly the same as stars of the competition honestly like that's really close to a million dollars a million dollars can get you like a Pendlebury, a dustin martin a jeremy cameron a tom lynch someone who can break open games he was just running around with his with his um just with his eyes closed basically that's what he's <laughs> doing there uh his value is with running and endurance um with shorter quarters it's been hard for him just because people have been able to keep up with him but even then i think 
as someone who's getting paid that much, he should be able to assert himself in the game. And he's just not been able to do that. Um, what needs to change, I think, they need an inside mid. And they need to work on their tall defenders, as you mentioned as well. And yeah, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, they need someone to take heat off Max King, allow him to develop his running work, all that sort of stuff. Um, what do you think, Ashra? Yeah, no, I think you've touched on most things there. Brad Hill, he's just, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, it's, he's had a bad year, but it's been it's his first year at a new club. Maybe give him an idea to really make a judgment on if he was worth it. But do you think he's ever going to live up to $800,000 a year? I, I don't think so, um, especially knowing that I think Akers probably had a better year than Brad Hill, um, even though he played less games. So he had more of an impact for Fremantle than Brad Hill had at Saints. So, like, it probably wasn't, it probably one of the worst trades of last year. But, yeah, maybe give him an extra year to see what uh, what can change and if he can make a bigger impact and if they can get the ball to him. I think that was the biggest issue if they weren't just getting the ball to him and letting him run. And he doesn't get his own ball. That's the type of player he is. He gets people to feed it off to him and just goes for a run. So if nobody gives it to him, then he's uh, he's not going to make much of an impact. So, yeah, that's probably where the inside mid comes in as well. Like, you need somebody to get in, inside and get the ball out. And uh, other than Jack Steele, there weren't many people that, that could do that. Zach Jones had a good impact. Uh, but, yeah, they need another inside mid. And uh, one of my friends is, loves this bloke called Jack Bytel, who's played three games, um, but <laughs> thinks he's going to become an inside beast. So we'll see how that pans out. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, they really need that inside mid and um, potentially another tall, tall defender, sorry, to help out uh, Dougal Howard at backers, Caulfield and Hunter Clark aren't, aren't big boys. The Caulfield's probably six, oh, I'm just pulling shit out of my ass, but probably like six two, six three. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, I don't think he's that tall defender that, that you need, uh, but he's a good interceptor. But it, it'll be... Good to see where they go next year. What do you guys think about uh, their season, guys? What would you give them a rating? A rating of? I think an A. Honestly, they haven't won a mm-hmm. final since twenty ten or twenty eleven. Eleven, yeah. So it's been a very long time, and for them to just win a final and then show that there's still room for growth is amazing. So I think Saints supporters can be happy with the season um, they've had. What about you, Shiv? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think huge turnaround. Definitely, I think A is probably um, what I'd give them as well. They just turned their whole culture around in the clubs to make finals again, based on where they were previously. Um, we probably write them off before the season even started, but they've came around well. I think the few people to look out for, definitely not Brad Hill, a bit of a poor man's Michael Walters, but I think uh, Hunter Clark is, is actually really silky around the ball. I actually enjoy him seeing him play. Uh, he's probably going to be a real good uh, play for them from halfback. But yeah, probably will give them an A. But um, I think moving into the pies, and I think for us to just break down their season, which has been uh, pretty much a lot of ups and downs, uh, how would you kind of uh, break down what's kind of worked for uh, for your team there, Nixie, for this year? I see defence. I think we were probably in the top three for defence. So the defence stood up really, really well. We had a lot of contenders for All-Australian. I think if Howard didn't go down early, he would have been probably in the running for an All-Australian spot. Same with Moore, who actually got it, and Maynard is probably really stiff, I think. He should have been there instead of Darcy Burns-Jones. Our midfield, Adam showed that he can be one of the top dogs in that pretty star-studded midfield. Dacos as well had a brilliant season, I think. For the probably Considering he's only 21, 22, he's probably got another decade of good footy in him. With the genetics he's got, with his dad being one of the most craziest goal sneaks ever, so... 
I think it was really, really good that there's still growth there, internal growth that we can look forward to for next year. But the forward line and injuries were what really, really let us down. The forward line, honestly, we were just chopping and changing. What do you guys think didn't work for us? Looking at it from outside in rather than being like someone who's biased like myself. What do you guys think worked? Yeah, I think like they're, they're, what they were lacking is their forward line, is, as you mentioned. But honestly, they've got a pretty stacked forward line as well. It's just people aren't showing up. Uh, other than Mason Cox, who's probably... Probably one of your more, more important players just because he's your tall forward. Uh, other than my check, no one kicked more than 14 for the season from what I saw, which Stevenson went quiet, DeGoli went quiet. The other down on form were just uh, injury. And DeGoli's going around asking for a million dollars from other clubs. Like, he's not he's not getting that in his dreams. So, like, it's they've just gone missing. But I think they still have that potential. They're still in that premiership window. Uh, they just need that one key forward that's more reliable than Cox. Uh, even though he's got a good kick and he clunk it every now and again, he struggles to get in the right position at the right time and actually take those good marks. So they do need that key forward, someone that's a bit more reliable. Someone like Jeremy Cameron would have been great, but it doesn't look like that he's coming down to Collingwood. Hopefully someone like Ben Brown can come through and um, make a difference, but we'll have to wait and see how the trade period pans out. Yeah, other than that, your forward line, I don't see much flaw in, in that Collingwood lineup. That midfield is stacked and that defence is probably one of the best in the league or top three at least so there, there isn't much going wrong I think they just need that consistency in the forward line and someone that's a bit more reliable than Coxie yeah I think the main thing is consistency probably the main flaw for Pies because they have a good lineup on paper defense probably one of the best in the, in the league uh yeah maybe just they need to be more consistent in the forward line for them to do well um, I remember Pendles just pretty much babysitting Cox in the, I think, the semis or the, the finals before, where they're just leading him to the ball. So I think the longer you guys have Pendles there to, to the, pretty much direct Cox where to go and to where to lead up, then might just help you to be more consistent. But I think, yeah, the overall, I think your, your forward line is actually pretty potent when they're on. So it's more so it's just when the pies, if they can be more consistent throughout a year and also show up in the big moments. Moving into what needs to change, maybe it's just, I think it's kind of been a very intriguing to see Grundy lose form because he was probably one of the the best rucks, I think, for the past few years. Uh, why do you reckon his form has kind of dropped off Nick's? And why do you, is that because of his long-term contract or is there other reasons why? Honestly, I don't think it's a monetary reason. I think he's probably, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not internally involved with the club, but I feel uh, being the solo rock really? for the team. <laughs> 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 being being a solo ruck for the team for the past maybe four or five years definitely would take a toll on his body. I don't think he's missed a game in the past three years, and that's crazy for a ruck. And he, the amount of running he does. Collingwood had a really rough stretch of games in between where they played like the three games in a week and a half, which in a normal season would not happen. And having a ruckman come, a, come up against other ruckmen who are more fresh and ready to go would have done a number on his ribs, his whole body. And yeah, you probably, I don't know if you guys watched many games of Collingwood. He wasn't running like he was in the past few years. He wasn't playing as an extra midfielder. He looked a bit slow, a step slower than normal. Maybe give it a year. Maybe next season I could see him returning back to where he was. He did have his colours lowered a lot of times throughout the season. I think he probably wouldn't want to come back next year with that same mindset and he'd like to right his wrongs and hopefully Collingwood go a bit further next year. As well as that, I think, yeah, key forward. That's been a puzzle for a while. And with my check, asking for a big contract, only getting paid 80K, which is robbery, is going to make it really tough for us to find another forward. If we even lock in my check, which I think we should, 
he's honestly a true hardworking footballer who's really just does his role and yeah gets on with it. We've got a contract squeeze as well with Dugowie. I think he's actually committed for two years. Dacos, Moore, and um, Majacek as well, who are real key players. So I think money might be a problem. So I think next year we just need internal development, and I think that just, might uh, see us go further. Quick question with uh, Jeremy: How is there any idea of when he is coming back, or how long his injury is for? I think he was. He would have been an outside chance if we made it further. I think he was in the running, but I think we just wanted to play it safe because um, the way he plays, taking speckies or that is just really taxing on his knees. So I think. I just wanted to rest him and then hopefully he comes back next year with the same um, the same ability he showed early on. But yeah. Uh, what do you guys rate our season, honestly? Uh, I think Pies had a pretty solid season, even though they finished eighth. I think, yeah, a big part of it was injury and had losing quite a lot of key players. I would still give them a B for the season, I would say. Below what you would expect from a stacked team like that, but still to beat the West Coast in West Coast um, in the elimination final was a statement uh, to, to, as to what they can potentially do next year as well with uh, with their team pretty much all, all back. Yeah, so I, I would give them a B. Yeah, I think that final was a good statement for how, how high they can they can fly. But I think maybe B- minus or C+, plus because I think we all, all expected a bit more from the Pies this year and they're kind of under-delivered. I think that's obviously influenced by the injuries, but they could probably get better next year. Uh, what are your thoughts, Nick? I'm going to say plus as well. I think a champion team is able to cover for injuries and poor form, which I think Richmond and Geelong have done. So I think a C plus has a fair evaluation of where we were at this season. But yeah, moving on, we'll probably touch base on NBA, considering the season's done, trade season's underway. What do you reckon are the big moves coming through Shiv next year? Yeah, I think it's it's been a pretty quiet I think it'll be a pretty quiet trade season compared to last year where we had everyone moving around. I think the few names are probably Giannis, Fred Van Vliet, and also AD. I think probably straight up, I think AD will probably stay at Lakers. I reckon he's just probably going to you know, try and chase another ring uh, next season. But it's, yeah, I'm not sure where Giannis will stay or leave. Same with Van Vliet as well. Um, he's been, I think, chased by a few teams with uh, bigger cap spaces, but... What do you reckon with those two Knicks? I think Giannis, if Milwaukee underperform again, I think he's out the door. Even though he's said time and time again that he'd love to finish where he started and go all the way. Like, he doesn't want to pull a KD. I think he's alluded to that a lot of times. I just don't think Milwaukee have it, have the money and the pieces to keep him. And I think they let Malcolm Brogdon go last year, and that was a big loss just because of monetary reasons. I don't know what they're going to do this year, to be honest. But I heard, like, yeah, Chris Paul might also come in and that'd be a huge get for them. Someone who's just consistent and can play at Giannis's level just consistently and help the team out. And Van Vliet, honestly, personally, I think he should stay in um, Toronto and repay the fate that Toronto showed in him. And I think they've still got something building there. I think they can see internal development and growth from players like Ananobi, Siakam, Siakam actually had his colours lowered during the um, playoffs, so I think he can come back next year and show great improvement because he's been doing that every season. He's been in the league. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I think. What do, you, what do you reckon about those two? Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. It's just pretty exciting if, if Chris Paul comes to 
comes to bu- the Bucks and then plays with Giannis because I think that will probably elevate the Bucks to probably doing even better than they did. And Giannis was obviously injured this year in the playoffs, so um, I'm just keen to see Giannis do better because I think he's got the drive to do so, and um, he works so hard. So if Chris Paul comes there, it might just be exciting to see what they do next year. Yeah, I guess there's not much else with trades with the NBA so far, so we'll kind of see how that goes across the next few weeks. But I think something that has been kind of ramping up towards the second half of its competition is the IPL. So just going to obviously first, the disclaimer is that with the IPL, you can never pick out a team when you, when you see a match because you never know who's going to win. Yeah, it just really depends on who rocks up on the day. So I think that's why that competition has been very, I guess, very variable this year in terms of who wins and who loses. But I think moving into the second half of the competition, we've actually actually seen a bit more of uh, teams actually settling within the table. And I think we've seen RCB, Delhi and Mumbai kind of cement themselves to, to the higher parts of the ladder. But Ashra, what do you reckon about uh, what's been going on with the IPL? Have you been following anything? And yeah, I've been hearing about any of the, the recent upsets. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, as you just said, with IPL in a 2020 match, things can go either way really quickly. Um, well, it's three three hour match, so if somebody doesn't rock up, it's it's game over. So you saw a huge upset with KKR beating Delhi Capitals, who've been probably the best side this season, and you've been frothing him all all year with Rishabh Pant, Prithvi Shaw, and Shikhar as well. So like Shreyas Iyer has also been going off. Shimmer on my like we said these names so many times, but they managed to uh, get thumped by KKR with um, Varun Chakraborty taking a fly and Paddy Cummins doing his thing taking a three for. So you can't really call it in in the IPL, and I guess that's that's the good thing about it. Uh, you watch every single game, and it can change in the blink of an eye. So it, what did you did you catch that game where with a huge huge upset by KKR? Yeah, I mean I saw a bit at the end, and they just absolutely demoralized the Delhi Capitals. Chakravarti, I think he's like just a part-time spinner, or maybe just a, a um, off-spin break bowler, but he, yeah, he tore them to shreds, took a firefly, and then Cumdog, I think, had a quick two-fight at the start of the innings as well. So they dominated. And then a few other upsets were also Mumbai also just demolishing CSK. And I think maybe it's time. CSK is running the, to make the finals every year. I think kind of has, yeah, come to an end. And I think... The, the dynasty has kind of ended there, but I think they'll just kind of need to really rebuild. Or I don't even know if you can rebuild in the IPL, but do a bit better. Yeah, but yeah, yeah and I think sure. Mumbai kind of did that to them. And then did you, I'm not sure if you saw the RCB game against the KKR, but I think they got out for 86, or I think it's 86 yeah. for six weeks or something. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I caught that one as well. I think what's lacked in the RCB side is they've always had the big hitters, crazy good batsmen. Previously, they had the Gale in there. Coley's always been the De Villiers and it was always that's it and I think it's, it's a similar case this year they have big batsmen but they don't bat too deep but something that they've always lacked is that bowling lineup and it, even though it's probably not the best bowling lineup in the comp they've put together a, a group of players that have been quite, like highly impactful like Morris has only played I think a game or two now he's had quite a big impact in the games that he's played uh, Sine who's, who's nice and rapid probably 140 k's an hour Solid, solid bowler, uh, and Chahal doing his thing with um, with his amazing leggies. So I think this is probably one of their better bowling lineups I've seen over the past eight, ten years of the IPL. And yeah, like I think that's what's lacking. And I take back what I said a few weeks back, saying RCB don't have what it takes to 
to go and win the uh, win the title this year. But honestly, they've been, probably been one of the more consistent teams, other than maybe Mumbai Indians in, in the whole league this season. So interesting to see how they go up against CSK and if they can pull through, they'll go clear up the top, which will be really really good from an RCB fan point of view. But yeah, what do you think about RCB season and how they probably look to finish it off and see if they can actually win a flag for the first time over a title? That's what I'm hoping for as well. The first title, if they can win, be good to see. ABD is like 36 years of age. <laughs> so I don't know, he just keeps performing. I don't know how long he'll be doing it for, but it seems like he's in good nick and they probably need to win one now when he's at his, maybe, I think he's still in his prime, I guess, in T20 sense. So yeah, hopefully they do win. Just looking, and also just um, a random thing I stumbled across, I kind of just identified it was like ABD. He's like currently 36 years of age. And I think he was born in 1984, which is the same year that LeBron James was born, the same year that Rafael Nadal was born, and the same year that Gary Ablett Jr. was born. So uh, two out of those three people have won something this year pretty big. So I just think maybe ABD could win something with RCB too. So, yeah, it like seems that, exciting. That didn't win something this year. Uh, we all know who. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> I think we've covered it for like half this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, that's a nice fact, hopefully. Uh, RCB come through with something different and uh, they can actually win a title this year, which will be good to see uh, with not much going for the Bombers. Uh, I might have something to, to be happy about with RCB. There's been a lot of youngsters coming through in the IPL. So what has been the revelation of the season so far, um, Ashe? I think we've mentioned his name a couple of times, but Padikal is really young. He's 20 or 21. He's just come through and, She's probably in the top 15 run scorers in the IPL this season. It's just Mr. Consistent. Every single week, he'll get off to a start. I don't think I've seen him max single-digit scores more than once or twice this season. He's just Mr. Consistent, rocks up every single game, uh, which which is great. Ishan Kishan, who's also had a, a great game last, I think, a couple of nights back uh, with Mumbai Indians. He's always been in that squad. He's always been touted to be a gun, and he's... Uh, always played with the Mumbai Indians and he's finally coming about uh, with his big big hitting and making runs. But Shiv, I know you love Sanju Samson. I know you think that nah, he's a gun with huge big hitting sixes. How do you think his season's been so far? And do you really think he's got a, a case to pledge to see if he can make that Indian Indian side as the wicketkeeper instead of Rashad Punt in, in the white, white ball format at least? Yeah, it's a tough question. I don't know. Hear how he's going, been going with the with the gloves. So it does depend on yeah if he can you know convert that into a national team. But he can just send a big one when he wants to. And I think he's hitting like his pure hitting has been freakish this this season. So I think he can accumulate runs pretty quickly. So I think he's probably maybe get a crack in the in the T Twenty team at least if he keeps performing. But I think it's more so consistency because there's other players like you mentioned, Ishan Kishan, who's been more consistent. Yeah. And I think just uh, if people haven't watched, there is a doco called Mumbai Indians Cricket Fever, I think. It's on um, Netflix, uh, which kind of like actually documents how the Mumbai Indians team went across one whole IPL season. So in that documentary, it kind of shows how Ishan Kishan could never break through into the main squad. But I think he's been you know, persisting and working really hard and he's finally in the team there. So just another quick uh, shout-out to another docker you might be able to get on top of. But, yeah, I think he's probably one of the revelations of the year. Well, out of the, all the players this season, Shiva, which two bowlers do you reckon have been outstanding or or even more, a bit more specific? I think, for me, Boomer and Jofra have been quite solid. 
who do you think's got more of an impact on the game? Who would you take to, to be in your team? I mean, right now, I reckon I'd take Jofra. He's a weapon. Uh, he can he can actually bat pretty well too. I think he's been... Sometimes he finishes with a strike rate, strike rate of like 300, uh, comes comes down, hits 18 of six, just cool, calm and collective. But when he's bowling, he is pretty pretty talented. So I think I'd pick him. But what about you? Nah, I think I'd have to agree. He's, he's not only good with the, but decent with the bat, he's good in the field as well. And I think most Indian bowlers suck in the field. So I don't, I don't think I've seen it. Uh, many Indian bowlers be be athletic and take screamers ever. So, yeah, Jofra can bring that X factor to the game and uh, he's a game changer. So, yeah, I'd probably take Jofra over Boomer. Boomer's gone a bit quiet, actually, since the last like, a year and a half ago. He got injured and he's just has been a bit quiet. But you know, hopefully he can get his form back together and start become a wicket-taker for India in, in the test side, at least. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think Boomer has been economical, but... Maybe not as lethal as Jofra in terms of taking wickets. So, yeah, that's definitely a fair point. Moving into the EPL, or I guess just soccer in general, Nick, have you been watching your games recently? Or had you watched the El Clasico and thought it was an absolute entertainer? What were your thoughts? Oh, yeah, cracking game, honestly. Back and forth, back and forth. Um, not much going on. I think two goals got kicked in the first 10 minutes. And then after that, it was just a lot of nothing, honestly, until... Um, I think uh, Real kicked another goal and that was game over. This game, it just wasn't as entertaining, I think, as past games between these two clubs. I think it's probably got something to do with Ronaldo leaving. I think having the two best players in the world going head-to-head was really a big drawing card for this, this fixture every year. And I think with Ronaldo not being part of it, it's just, and, and Messi aging as well, has made this just an average game, honestly. Real played really well, I thought. And yeah, what do you think, Shiv? Because you're more of an avid follower than I am. I think Messi kind of reminds me of Gaza a bit in his twilight of his career, but can still show some magic. I uh, just hope that Barca can still start to build because they've had uh, a few, I guess, structural disappointments in terms of how they build their team moving forward. And I think they should kind of figure out how they're going to still be relevant while having Messi still there. They had a few, I think, not fallouts, but they came close to obviously considering Messi leaving. And I think organized, as an organisation, probably just need to be a bit more careful with how they want to actually, I guess, finish off his legacy because he's been there for his whole career. And I don't think he'll ever move, but he's just had frustrations with the organisation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I think, as you mentioned, the magic has kind of gone. I think one thing that was good to see was Luka Modric. I think he had, he kicked one of the goals during the Classicos. I think he's just a classy player and um, has been someone probably under the or behind the shadow of Messi. And I think he did the same thing in a recent game in the Champions League where you know he was able to kick a freakish goal just on the run from outside the box. So, yeah, it'll be exciting to see how, I guess, not just the EPL, but also the Champions League, Champions League games go as well. One of the upsets we saw was that Man U actually lost to PSG, who won or who were in the finals last last season. So other than that, we also saw a few good EPL games with Manu and Chelsea ending in a draw. And I think there's this keeper for Mendy, I mean, keeper for Chelsea called Mendy, who's been doing pretty well. So they've got a pretty good lineup, actually. I'm actually interested to see or keen to see how Chelsea goes. Nixie, were you, gonna, uh, were you choosing to go for Chelsea this season, that, given that you're going to be following it a bit more or just going to try and browse through the teams and pick one later on? My pick Everton or Leeds, honestly. One of those two clubs. They've been doing pretty well. I think they're in the top three or four of the Premier League. So I love an underdog story. Even though they might not have the most funding, I might 
might put my hat in the basket for that one. Who do you support, mate, by the way? Oh, yeah, I support Liverpool, but as you mentioned, Van Dijk is injured. But no, I just thought they were a good team. And Van Dijk was probably one of the reasons why I went for them. But uh, I used to kind of uh, go for them when I was like five, six, just playing FIFA 06 and stuff. So, And they kind of won. Oh, they bet Sheffield United recently, who were actually doing a, they were a pretty good, decent team uh, last year. So, Nick, I think if you choose Everton, you'll obviously be happy when they're doing well. But it's going to be a long season when they're not doing as well. Just a bit of a tip for you. Um, I think Ashra can attest to... <laughs> or just do what Shiv does and just hop on the bandwagon for every single team. Um, <laughs> the Cats in 07 and Liverpool over the past two, three years. So you could do what Shiv does and stay happy all the time or uh, ride through the rough and come up happy on the other side. So I support your decision to go for Everton, Shiv. Uh, Nixie, do, do what makes you happy, man. Don't, don't be a bandwagoner like some other blokes. Yeah, I like what you did, bro, with Essendon. I think that's great that you're still sticking through, so... Hopefully, good times ahead for them. Thanks. But yeah, moving on, we'll segue to Formula One, I think. So, Ashay, what's changed in the past, um, since the past meet? You said bro, bro, nothing, bro. <laughs> nothing's changed, bro. <laughs> Same old every single week. Shiv, I'm going to ask you this question again. Question again. Who do you think uh, were the top three in qualifying or yesterday? I'm going to say uh, Valtteri Bottas. I don't even know how to say his name. Is it Bottas? Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, him probably first. Second, Louis uh, Hamilton, and then third, we'll go with. Hmm. Don't don't try to think outside the box, bro. It's F one. <laughs> it's the same shit every single week. So, uh, so I'm going to choose Verstappen number three. Yeah, that's that's good. It was Did actually Hamilton it? number one. Hamilton number one. Yeah. Bottas number two, and Verstappen number three. So you were close. Uh, double points if you get number four right as well. Who's who's number four? Oh. How predictable is this? Quite predictable, or else I wouldn't be asking you this question. <laughs> I'm actually not sure. I might go with Al- Albon, but I'm not too sure, to be honest. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I see why you would say that, but it was actually Leclerc. Uh, Leclerc's been out qualifying this all season, but oh, okay. he still manages to find himself in the first few rows of the grid, usually, even in, in a, a lackluster Ferrari. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's another thing. Putting some plus drivers like Leclerc into some better cars, you could see how far they could go. And I guess that's something that I don't really like about Formula One in that you can't really determine one, either one team to be the best or one driver to be the best because there's two variables at play. It would be really interesting to see maybe one day where everybody drives in the Mercedes and sees uh, we can see who the real best driver is or we can get one driver to, to drive around in all the cars and see how, which car is the best. So you need to take one of the, the variables out and make Formula One a bit more unpredictable and uh, entertaining for the non-Mercedes supporters. Nix, I know you've been watching the docker recently. Just to kind of articulate to our, um, our listeners if you've enjoyed it and what's been like something that you have taken out of that docker. Honestly, it's riveting. It's really entertaining. I didn't think Formula One would be this good. You develop like a personal attachment to a lot of the drivers and the hardships they face week in and week out. And I think with that, you'd also notice that, as Astro mentioned, it's just not the driver itself and their ability, but it's more the car they're driving. So cars with higher funding like Mercedes or Ferrari, they're going to get the best engine, the best people looking at the car and developing it. And you're going to see a big discrepancy between like the, the manufacturers such as like Mercedes and then other racing car companies like Haas and Williams who are at the bottom. So 
I think it's really good. And you also see that there's a lot of politics involved and it's just really entertaining seeing cars going at like hundreds of kilometers per hour around bends and just stopping on a dime. So it's, it's really entertaining and I highly recommend it. I think for our listeners as well, I think whatever Shiv suggests, go give it a listen. You're not gonna, you're not gonna regret it. I think it's really good. So I think Shiv, what was it you alluded to this week for our listeners to keep an eye out? Oh, the, yeah, the IPL docker, the Mumbai Indians cricket fever. I think it's similar to F1. IPL is obviously a bit smaller in terms of the, the history, but of each club, but I think you get to see the actual insights of how they prepare, how the different personnel within the organization support those players and how they actually, it's interesting to see different players from different countries come together and play for one team and how they build their camaraderie. So it's, it's pretty exciting to watch. And I think the same thing with F1, you just get some personal insights that you wouldn't get from just watching the sport. Yeah, definitely. That's something I've watched as well. And I think, yeah, it's really good. Just echoing what you've said. It, it shows like an insight into the workings of a team, like the coach's relationship with the players, the players' personal relationship and having to travel away from home. All those little things and factors that you overlook as a spectator get brought up, especially in the Formula One docker as well. So, so now that the footy season's over, what do, what do you guys have to look forward to going into the next few weeks? Obviously, trade period coming up and that is usually an exciting time for everyone uh, with a few changes on your lists and just a kind of new perspective on next season, seeing if some of your players are developing and whatnot. But yeah, what's keeping you engaged in footy this season, Shiv? Oh, this, this summer? I think I'm going to be disengaged for a bit after last night's <laughs> loss. But um, I think, yeah, I think we'll tackle, we'll definitely discuss the trades that come up. And maybe the draft, we will be able to look into a few players like Hugo uh, Hagen and uh, who else is out there. So we can have a good, good discussion around who can probably fit in. And I think it's so hard to kind of discuss who's in the draft this year. So we actually probably will have a good analysis of that and see you know which players do well but I think outside of footy you probably have a look into actually just before before I do that maybe also with footy you can have a look at the breakdown of the teams that are left or finish the season there's a few teams that I think we know that might just you know pop up next year and do better than everyone's expecting like for example Carlton and Gold Coast so yeah we'll definitely break down all the teams that especially have exited, exited the AFL final season. And then I think we'll also we consider some other sports that are also happening at the moment, like IPL, the Champions League might be something else we'll have a look at, and just other sports as well that do come up. But yeah, Nixie, what about you? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, we'll probably talk a lot more about the trade season, the players that are com- coming in from like the academies, all that sort of stuff, and as, as well as the other clubs that weren't in the finals. But I think we'll have a say next year, like Frio, Carlton and Gold Coast. So apart from AFL, I think cricket's coming up as well, the summer of cricket. If we're allowed to have people coming over and playing, I think will be something that we'll all be following very actively. And I think Formula One as well, hopefully something does change. So that personally, I'll be following that. And tennis as well is just around the corner. So there's a lot to look forward to. Now we'll be mentioning those as well. So um, yeah, well, what about you, Ashray? Uh, yeah, I think you guys have echoed pretty much everything that I can think of. But one maybe question to cap off this great AFL season or different AFL season is what, what are you guys looking forward to in each of your teams as a player or something else as well? What, what are you looking forward to at the Pies for next season, Nick? Hopefully Dacos or someone just improves again and takes us to the next level because I think we're a chance of going all the way again. I think our name can be thrown in the basket. 
making it far. But yeah, I think internal development is what I expect. What about you with Geelong Shit? I think the same thing. You just love to see your young players grow and develop through the year and then start performing at the at the business end of the year. So I got to see that with Parfit and Grind Mai has actually stepped up here and there as well. So I think we have so many players in our reserves that can really come up and start playing big roles. So just excited to see them more so than recruit, you know, I guess older veterans. So that's where the biggest thing we're looking for Geelong. And I think we have everything that it takes to go back to the granny and hopefully we play with that vengeance next year is probably the main thing I can take out other than the fact that Gaz has finished his career. I was with the saddest thing, but you got to always look for what's going to happen next year. What about you, Ashray? I think Essendon's yeah. at crossroads with everything. Yeah, no, I think Essendon's had a bit of a makeover already with the president's changed. So it'll be uh, good to see what change that he can bring in. And as you guys mentioned, it's nothing better than watching your youngsters develop. I really keen to see what Andy McGrath can bring next season. He's shown glimpses, but I think there's still a lot of upside to him. Essendon's got a really young side, so there's quite a few other names that I could mention. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just hopefully the culture can change and uh, let's see what that brings forward for the Bombers in 2021. I'll probably wrap up our episode for today. Um, I'd just like to thank Ashray and Shiv for joining me today. And I'd also like to thank our listeners for joining us on the fourth episode of Expo Couch Potato, hosted by three sports fanatics discussing everything sport and for the love of the game. We'll see you next time. Every time you hear the sound of my voice, just know that I'm looking down on you smiling and not at you feel a thing. So baby, don't feel no pain, just smile back.